I think the most important thing I can say as I begin this morning is welcome to the Miller family. Uh, Sam and April, as we were worshiping, the thought struck me that this is, I believe, my 25th year of serving as a pastor. And I, looking back over those years, I, I can. this is not to make you feel bad, by the way. I hope it encourages you that I, I can't think of anyone who has... Um, left a church to to move for career reasons who has been missed more than you you have left a huge hole and that that speaks well of your family and your ministry so it's it's really really good to to have you here today and and trust that you will uh, be encouraged by your time together this morning i want to invite you to turn with me to the book of first corinthians first corinthians chapter 9 Whenever we begin a new year, most of us take time, at least I hope you take the time, to do an assessment of your life. And in the passage before us, the Apostle Paul takes a look at his own life, and in the process, he gives a series of challenges that will help us as we begin a new year. Before we look at that passage, I want to invite you to to pray with me. Father, we thank you for the year before us. We thank you for the blessings of 2016 and look forward to all that you will bring us in uh, the year ahead. I pray that you would enable us as a church family, as individual families, to be faithful to the gospel. God, I pray that we would uh, flee from uh, pragmatism, that we would flee from compromise, and that you would find us to be uh, a faithful uh, family of Christ followers here in Whatcom County. And now as we uh, take a look at these very important principles in the book of 1 Corinthians, would you uh, be kind to encourage us? Would you challenge us? Would, be, would, would you be so kind to remind us of the hope that we have in the gospel and that you would spur us on to, to love and, and good works so that you would be glorified, not only here in this place, but so that many would hear the good news of your Son, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, in 1678, a, a book was written in the walls of a prison. Some of you are wondering what that book was. Some of you have automatically chosen that book off the top of your head. The author of this book had been incarcerated. He ended up being incarcerated for around 12 years. And the reason that he was incarcerated was for preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And little did John Bunyan know that the book that he would pen in jail would be the second best-selling book in the history of the world that's second to the Bible. This book, if you have not read it, I know that I speak of it often. It's one of the most influential books in my life and uh, have actually taught a Veritas class using this book as the primary curriculum. And so if you have not taken the class, if you have not read the book, Here is a New Year's resolution for you to think about, that perhaps this would be the year when you would read John Bunyan's book, Pilgrim's Progress. Well, the book is an allegory. It is a book about a character who Bunyan named Christian, who lives in the allegorical city that he named the City of Destruction. Christian, who lives in the City of Destruction, is an unconverted man. He and his wife and children are unconverted people. 
who live in this so-called city, the city of destruction. And at one point in the story, before he comes to the foot of the cross, he meets a character who Bunyan has appropriately labeled evangelist. And I want to read a section from that portion of the story. The evangelist says to Christian, quote, If this be your condition, why are you standing still? Christian answered, Because I do not know where to go. Then evangelist gave Christian a parchment roll, and there written within were the words, Fly from the wrath to come. The man therefore read it. Christian read it and looked upon evangelist very carefully and said, Where must I go? Then evangelist pointing with his finger over a very wide field, Do you see the yonder wicked gate? The man said, No. Then the other, Do you see yonder shining light? He said, I think I do. Then said evangelist, Keep that light in your eye. And go up directly to it, and so then you shall see the gate. Like evangelists in Pilgrim's Progress, Paul the Apostle instructs us to run in such a way to win as many to Christ as possible. The context of 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that we will look at here in a moment makes the mindset of the Apostle Paul very, very clear. He says this in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19. Having made myself a servant of all, that I might win more. Verse 20. Paul says, to the Jews, I become as a Jew in order to win Jews. Verse 20. He says, to those under the law, I become as one under the law, that I might win those under the law. Verse 21. To those outside the law. I become as one outside the law that I might win those outside the law. Verse 22, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Then verse 23, Paul says, I do it for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. David Larson appropriately says that Paul now was flexible in format but unyielding as to the purity of the gospel in a syncretistic world. And so it is with this this missionary mindset that I hope you can glean from the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, a missionary mindset that Paul the Apostle is committed to doing anything and everything without compromise. I would add to say this, that he would dress a certain way that he would act a certain way, that he would pick up certain cultural uh, uh, innuendos, that he would do anything and everything without compromising so that he might win people for the Lord Jesus Christ. As he continues his remarks, Paul moves on to discuss what I like to refer to as the marks of a God-centered champion as he addresses his readers in 1 Corinthians 9. And so I want to have you stand with me as we read our passage with that context in mind and read together 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. He says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. 
Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Uh, the title of the message this morning, in the light of this passage, is Running for the Prize. And I want to say this, that if you were a Christian this morning, you were a runner. And if you were a runner, by default, you are in a race. And just like a real runner in a real race who competes for a real prize, so too the Christian, the Christ follower, runs the race in order to receive the prize. Yet even though we find ourselves running in this race, we are faced more and more with a cultural dilemma. I recently sent an email to a friend of mine explaining some of, of my discouragements as a pastor, and my pastor friend responded to me with these words. For many years, we have embraced our Savior's words that say, broad is the road that leads to destruction and narrow is the road that leads to eternal life. And here's what my friend said. Perhaps the path is narrower than we once anticipated. I thought those were very wise words. And so we face this cultural dilemma as runners in the Christian race. We live in a culture that is literally drowning in compromise. In a forthcoming class, I will address what we will refer to as the white flag. I've talked to some of you about this. That as I look across the the landscape, especially in America, what I see in many churches is that some who name the name of Christ have have stood out in front of their church and they, they hoist up a white flag. And essentially the white flag says, we give up, we surrender. We don't care about marriage being between a man and a woman anymore. We don't care about those cultural issues. We are willing to capitulate. We are willing to compromise. And so we hoist the white, white flag. Another issue that has come to the forefront in many churches is the doctrine of hell. There are some who fail, whether it's through fear or lack of conviction, or I fear both, fail to preach a robust doctrine of hell. Why? Because people in our culture don't like it. People in our culture reject the doctrine of hell. And so we find some in this culture raising the white flag saying, we give up. We just want to be tolerant. We want to accept everyone and, and make sure that we don't, don't draw any distinctions. And so we find ourselves in a culture that is literally drowning in compromise. Additionally, we find ourselves in a culture that is competing for our attention. Have you figured this one out yet? As you turn on the, the television, as you read your newspaper, as you, as you walk in downtown Linden, as you walk in downtown Bellingham, as you walk in the, the streets of Seattle, you will see that we live in a culture that is competing for our attention. Kyle asked the question, how many of you stayed up until midnight last night? Kyle, my response is that I chose to go to bed and I was uh, 
woken up about midnight because people uh, like to shoot off the rockets and, I don't know, hooping and hollering and all the rest. So the answer to your question is yes and no. (laughs) But about 10 o'clock, I turned on the television and I began to watch some of the shows, Ryan Seacrest and some of these other people. And it struck me as I saw the people screaming in the streets of New York City. As Ryan Seacrest went up to one young lady and he said, how long have you been standing here? And I tried to kind of anticipate that. Oh, it's since like four o'clock maybe. And she said, I've been here since nine o'clock this morning. You see, we live in a culture that is competing for our attention. As you, as you look at the, the thousands upon thousands of people in Times Square and see the lights and see the, the advertisements and you see the bands playing, you hear the music, you see the people munching on food, you see that we are people who are in a competition. We live in a culture that is competing for our attention. Additionally, we live in a culture that is competing for our affections. What is it that you love the most? Let me make it more intense. What is it that you are willing to die for? We live in a culture, moreover, that battles against the truth. And in light of this cultural dilemma... And we've only scratched the surface this morning. I want to pose a very important question. And the question is, what are the marks of an effective, productive, God-honoring Christian runner? Or you could put it this way, what are the marks of a God-entranced champion? Or you might say this, what does it look like to, to run faithfully as a Christian in 2017? As we look at 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 to 27, there are four marks of an effective, productive, God-centered Christ follower. The first mark of this God-entranced champion is this, desire. Desire. And it emerges in verse 24. Paul says, Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So then, run that you may obtain it. Here we see that a God and trans champion has a desire to win the prize. And I want to ask you this question. Are you motivated by reward? There is something within the the fabric of the Christian culture that is somewhere along the way, and I have some suspicions as to where it has come from, but I won't bore you with that this morning, that says something like this. If you desire reward, you just sucked all of the, the goodness out of that equation. And nothing could be further from the truth. Can I admit to you up front this morning, I am desired by, or I I am motivated rather by reward. Think about this. When you go to high school, you are motivated to walk walk across that platform and receive your diploma. When you go to college, you are motivated to receive your degree. When you do a good job, you are motivated to receive the reward at the end of that good job you have done. In the Christian life, we strive zealously for rewards. And so a God and trans champion has a deep desire to win the prize. And I want to ask this question, what does it mean to desire 
the prize. Well, there are several things that surface in this verse. First, I want to encourage you to run with purpose. To run with purpose. Paul instructs us here to run in such a way that we may obtain the prize. That should eliminate any concern with having a desire to win or obtain the prize. And so we run with purpose. It's been many years ago now, and we won't get into the the positives or the negatives because there have been some severe critiques about Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life. And so critiques aside, one thing that I know that Pastor Warren did is he tapped into something that was heard all around the world, the purpose driven life. Therefore, we are to be a people who run with purpose. Second, and related to that first point, is I want to encourage you to run with a sense of urgency. We recognize that there is, in fact, a race to be run. That there are people to be won for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that God has called us to be a part of His purposes. Think about this. God has called you and me to be His ambassadors. So that we would share the good news, the saving message of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, could God have just used a great big blimp? Joseph Bailey wrote about this many years ago. It was a book he called The Gospel Blimp. Uh, in a way that that's evan- the way evangelism took place, where tracks were just dropped on the countryside. Could God have done that? Of course he could have done that. Could God have used an angel or a whole horde of angels? Of course he could have done that. God can use any method he chooses. What method did he use? He chose Galen and Linda. He chose the Demmer family. He chose Doug and Karen. He chose the Holtrips. He chose you and I to be his ambassadors. And so we run with the sense of purpose. We run with the sense of urgency, knowing that God has representatives from every tribe and every nation. Does this sound like a missions message? It is is our mission at the very essence of the Christian life is we should desire to tell people about Jesus. Number three, and I hope you have sensed this even at this point in the message, is that we are called to run with passion. See, running to win means to prize God above all things, to be captivated by this great truth that the gospel of the kingdom will one day be proclaimed throughout all the world, Jesus says, as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Matthew 24, verse 14. Fourth, I want to encourage you to run with perspective. To run with perspective. And running to win means that we recognize that each person in the race competes in the race to receive the prize that this will be an imperishable prize, unlike the race in the first century, in the Greek games, or in the games in Corinth, or in the games in our modern-day Olympics, where the runners in a race, the runners in a competition, only run to win a perishable prize. We run to win an imperishable prize. Finally, may I encourage you to run intentionally in order to win the prize. Verse 24, once again. Paul says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. That word obtain means to to take hold of. It means to seize something. It means to take possession of something. It means to grip it. 
And so we run in such a way that we might win the prize. As I studied this passage over and over and over again, which will be reflected over the the course of the next several minutes, I thought of one of my heroes, and I know he's some of yours as well. His name is J. Hudson Taylor. J. Hudson Taylor was a man who was a missionary who took very seriously the charges set forth in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. J. Hudson Taylor was a man who had a deep and abiding desire to win the prize. His passion, his desire was for China to hear the saving message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in her own tongue so that they would come to Christ by grace alone through faith alone. I want you to listen to the God in trans desire of Hudson Taylor. He said this, In our privileged positions of fellow workers with him, while fully recognizing all the benefits and the blessings to be bestowed on a sin-stricken world through the proclamation of the gospel and the spread of truth, we should never lose sight of the higher aspect of our work, that of obedience to God, of bringing glory to his name, of gladdening the heart of our God and Father by living and serving as his beloved children. Here is a man who had a deep and abiding desire for people to hear about Jesus. I want to ask you today, by way of application, how is your desire doing these days? Do you long for people? And I use that word specifically. Do you long for people to hear the message of the gospel? A few days ago, I began to read a commentary. That's what pastors do, you know, on Jonah, Micah, Nahum, and Habakkuk. It's a wonderful commentary, but within the first couple of pages, Tom, you know how it is when you read a commentary and something just grips you. And the writer just came out and said, if you are not telling people about Jesus, you're disobedient. Oh, wow. Well, I tell people about Jesus every Sunday. (laughs) That is not what he was referring to. That's only part of what he was referring to. He's talking to you and to me that not just from the pulpit and not just from the lectern and not just in a small group and not not with uh, people that you love and care about. But are you telling people out in the marketplace of ideas, people who may resist the message People who may resist the gospel, do you have a desire that those people hear about Jesus? The first mark of a God in trans champion, champion rather, is a desire to win the prize. But as you might gather, there are some barriers that may hinder you and I as we try to nurture this God-entranced desire. Paul seems to think that there are some things that will prevent this God-entranced desire from flourishing, which leads to our second mark. Look at it with me in verse 25. In verse 25, Paul says, Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, that is one that will rot, but we an imperishable The first mark of a God in trans champion is desire. The second mark of a God in trans champion is domination. Domination. And let me explain. 
A God in trance champion dominates the flesh. Paul says here, every athlete exercises, here are those words that we struggle with, self-control. Every athlete exercises self-control. And as I thought about, as most of you know, I, I love sports. I love competition. And I thought about the recent Olympics in Rio. And one of, the, one of the athletes that I was most impressed with was Gabby Douglas. Do you remember Gabby Douglas? What a young lady. What a disciplined young lady. Here is a young lady who gave up an awful lot so that she can win these medals. And here she proudly displays her gold medal. Here's a woman, a young woman who managed her diet, who managed her training regimens, who managed her time, who managed her priorities, who indeed managed her thought life, not to mention a host of other things in her life for the purpose of winning a prize that perishes. Think about that. Now know that I have a great deal of respect for this young lady and the other athletes, not only American athletes, but athletes all around the world who give up, who surrender things in their lives, who discipline themselves for the purpose of winning a perishable prize. In the early games which were played in the city of Corinth, the winning athlete would actually receive, brace yourselves, a pine wreath. I would have a hard time getting motivated for a pine wreath. Now that thing right there, I, I could probably consider motivating myself for that, but a pine wreath? A pine wreath? Albeit a perishable pine wreath. And by implication, Paul tells us that we too, like Gabby Douglas, must exercise self-control, or that is to say, we must dominate the flesh in all things. We must dominate the flesh in all things. And the reason I say this is Paul says here that, that we must exercise like an athlete. We must exercise in the Christian race. We must exercise self-control, which means this. It means to live Temperately. And it's actually a word that he uses here in the biblical text that is drawn from the first Olympic Games, which describes an athlete who prepared for those games by abstaining from certain food, by abstaining from wine, and by abstaining from sexual indulgence, much like the athletes in our current culture. And so self-control, you see, prevents us from giving in to the flesh. Self-control prevents us from giving in to the flesh. The flesh may cry out, and see if you've ever heard this. The flesh may cry out, you don't have what it takes to serve God. You don't have the experience to serve God. You don't know enough about the Bible to serve God. Those are all comments that you might hear from the flesh. Or the flesh may turn your attention to an altogether different agenda. Namely, the agenda of the flesh is never God's agenda. Additionally, self-control, as Paul says here, is a vital aspect of the Christian life. And I had the luxury this morning in our Veritas class of writing this on 
the whiteboard. And we don't have that luxury this morning, but I want you to remember this because we talk about this a lot in American culture. It's, it's what we call willpower. Have you heard of willpower? You just need a little willpower. And here's what I wrote on the board for the students in the class this morning. And it may surprise some of you. Willpower equals no power. Willpower equals no power. You say, wait a minute. That's not true. I have willpower. Once again, willpower equals no power. We must... And this is why the gospel is so counterintuitive. We must come to the end of ourselves. Willpower equals no power. At the end of the day, we must come to the point where we come to the end of self-effort. It is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that you will have the desire, the motivation, and the wherewithal to literally be self-controlled. And in the day that you find that you obey that command to be self-controlled, you will look in the rearview mirror and say, thank you, Holy Spirit. Because now I realize willpower equals no power. The only time I exert self-control is when I am walking by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I would challenge you this morning, as you think about running the Christian race in 2017, will you commit yourself on this day, to being a Christ follower who is self-controlled. Not in and of your own strength, for willpower equals no power, but to be a person, to be a man or a woman, to be a young man or a young woman, who will commit to being self-controlled, who lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, self-control is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. As Paul unpacks those Various fruits in Galatians chapter 5. And so we must live according to the Spirit. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Paul warns in Romans chapter 8 verse 13, if you live according to the flesh, you will Die. That is why John Owen, the great Puritan writer, said, Be killing sin, or sin will kill you. Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. Paul goes on, But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And then in Romans 13, 14, Paul continues. He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And it probably won't surprise you when I hearken you back to the example of J. Hudson Taylor, a man of profound self-control and self-denial. He put the Lord Jesus Christ first. He was the portrait of of a God-entranced champion. Any good that flowed out of Hudson Taylor's life was all because of the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in his ministry. Mark number three, I want you to see that a God-entranced champion is determined to finish the course. That is to say, he, this is a, a man or a woman, a young man or a young woman of determination, of determination. Look at verse 26. He says, so I do not run aimlessly. 
I do not box as one beating the air. Over the Christmas holidays, my son Nathan and I watched not one, not two, but three. I wish I could say four, five, six, but we watched three of the Rocky movies. The greatest movies of all time. That's a footnote. But you know what Rocky did? He fought and fought and fought. And here the Apostle Paul raises in our mind that image. I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one literally beating the air. That is, we must be men and women of determination. When we are not determined, here he says what? We become aimless. We become aimless. This would be a great time in the message to ask you, do you have some goals this year? I, I love to write goals, and I, I found that over the years in ministry that, that many people have a bit of a problem with that. And the reason I think that people have a problem with goal setting is because so often you will write the goal, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose 10 pounds, or I'm going to commit to walking every day, or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that. It lasts for how many days? One, two, maybe a week, and the real disciplined people, it lasts for a couple of weeks. And then you get to 2018, and you look back and go, see, there, there it is. I tried it. Nothing ever works. And I think that's one of the big reasons that people don't write goals. Let me encourage you as your pastor, don't worry about all that stuff. Write some goals. Write some goals that will help you forge your way into the future as a runner in the Christian race, and trust God with those goals. Our charge now is to refuse to to box as one beating the air. Unfortunately, as you well know, there are many Christians who live the Christian life in such a way. Some go from one challenge to another, never really accomplishing anything. And people continue to wait for the message of salvation to penetrate their people group. We work and work and labor and labor. And somewhere along the way, we forget about the nations. We forget about every tribe and every ethnic. And we forget that there are people who are simply waiting, unbeknownst to them, to hear the message of the gospel. Here's our challenge. Our challenge is to be determined in our efforts to win people to Christ. As God and trans champions, we must be single-minded in our efforts to reach the nations for the Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, Hudson Taylor said this, Our hearts were fixed. Our hearts were fixed, whether it be to bonds, imprisonment, and death, whether to distribute the scriptures and tracts and safety and return unhurt, we knew not. But we were determined by the grace of God not to leave Tung Chau, city in China, any longer without the gospel, nor its teeming thousands to die in uncared for ignorance of the way of life. I believe that God wants to get a hold of this church family. I remember the last time I went to Minsk. I've been thinking a lot about Minsk lately. I actually purchased a book a few days ago, reading more about this this country and this city that I love. But I remember the last time at Minsk, the gentleman I was rooming with, he was... uh, off eating dinner or spending some time with some friends. So I had some, some time to be by myself. 
to be by myself. And I remember I was listening to some Christian music and spending some time preparing for the class that would take place the next day. And I was about on the eighth floor of this hotel looking down. And so I just took a moment to to look down on the, the people of Minsk. And this is, most of you that know me very well know this is very unlike me. I'm not a really, really, really emotional person. And as I began to, to, to watch the people walk on the, the streets of Minsk, I started to cry. <laughs> that is not me. That is weird. Now, what, what would prompt someone to cry for people walking on the streets? A desire for them to hear and respond to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And only the Holy Spirit can do that. It's only the Holy Spirit that, that can promote that kind of affection for people, some of whom I will never, ever see. And so we are called to be a, a people of deep, deep determination. Finally, Mark number four, we are called to be a people of discipline. Verse 27, Paul the the Apostle says, But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. Discipline here means to, it's a really interesting definition, and I wish I could do an object lesson for you this morning, but I can't because it means this. It means to beat under the eye. Be a good object lesson, don't you think? Discipline means to beat under the eye. It means to beat to the point of black and blue. The ESV says, keep it under control. The NAS says, make it my slave, which means to lead away into slavery, to treat as a slave. In other words, we so discipline our bodies that nothing prevents us from obtaining the prize, as Paul talked about earlier in this passage. Paul's motive here for this rigorous discipline, is that he as an apostle, as a preacher, as a pastor, will not be disqualified. Never let it be said here at Christ Fellowship that our lack of discipline got in the way of sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with someone. Once again, Hudson Taylor utters these words. He said, I began to take more exercise in the open to strengthen my physique. I kind of like that. In other words, he says he got a membership at the 24-hour fitness club. He says, my feather bed I had taken away and I sought to dispense with many other home comforts as I could in order to prepare myself for rougher lines of life. So this man in London decided he was going to get rid of some of the, the luxuries in his life to prepare for the day when he would go to China to tell people about Jesus. And those of you that have read, I know there's several of you who have read the story of Hudson Taylor and his life, know that he, like the Apostle Paul, in the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, dressed like the people of China. He wore the, the Chinese garb. He grew a, a ponytail. He grew a Fu Manchu. so that he would look like the people in China so he could relate to them, so he could talk to them. He was willing to do anything and everything outside of compromising the message of the gospel so the people in China would hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. God-entrenched champions have then the proper mindset. 
They will do anything outside of compromising the truth to spread a passion for the supremacy of Christ. Here's the truth point this morning. God and trans champions, number one, desire the prize. Number two, they dominate the flesh. Number three, they determine to finish the course. And number four, they discipline their bodies. I want to take time to apply this, these truths to our lives this morning because I believe that we are faced with an incredible opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in our community. There are several principles I want to share, three actually to begin with. Number one, continue the Christian race on Monday morning. What do I mean by that? It would be very easy to take a message like this and say, Pastor Dave, that's great. I'm, I'm excited about the gospel. And then go home and watch the Seahawks win. Positive thinking, right? Spend some time with your family. Spend some time with your friends. And then get up tomorrow morning and go to work and forget about everything. And so my first plea with you is this. Continue the Christian race on Monday morning. When someone asks you at work, here's how it can look. Hey, how was your weekend? Instead of saying, oh, we lit off the fireworks and woke up Pastor Dave. Or we had a bunch of great food. You can say something like this. I heard a message at church. It's exciting. The message talked about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of a man named Jesus Christ. I'm excited about it. And perhaps share for 30 seconds or 60 seconds about the gospel and say to your friend, perhaps later on, perhaps after we hit the clock, we can talk more about that if you're interested. So my first plea is to continue the Christian race on Monday morning. Secondly, pray for opportunities to share the gospel clearly, courageously, and boldly. I remember when I was in high school, I had a youth group leader who used to challenge the youth group all the time with this particular challenge. Pray for opportunities to share the gospel. And here's what Phil used to say. If you're not prepared to share the gospel, do not pray that prayer. And, I remember, and many of you have experienced that. Wow, it is the truth. Pray for an opening to boldly and courageously and humbly share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God will open those doors. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, Paul said, "...that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak." He said in Colossians 4, at the same time, pray for us also that God may open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. You see, Paul was always looking, looking rather for the opening to share the gospel. He was always looking for that, for that, that inside track to, to share the gospel of grace. And I'll be honest with you, it was those words from the commentary on Nahum, Jonah, Habakkuk, and Micah that just grabbed me by the throat. If you are not sharing the message of the gospel, you are disobedient. And so I believe we all have a lot of work to do. 
And one of the greatest ways I learned many years ago from a a man I heard, a missionary from a faraway place overseas, he used to ask this lead-in question. Because I know many of you are asking, well, how do you start? What's the conversation look like? Simply ask, do you know the God of the universe? It goes something like this. You're in this, this conversation, and, hi, I'm, I'm Dave. How are you doing? Good. Your name's Good. <laughs> oh, Katie, Katie. Hi, Katie. Nice to meet you. And we get talking back and forth. You're, you're sitting at Starbucks with someone, and all of a sudden, the avenue opens. And I say, it's a crazy question. Do you know the God of the universe? I know what Katie's going to say. Of course you do. But there you are in this conversation. You ask, do you know the God of the universe? And here's what I've been struck with. What's the very worst thing that could happen? I think the very worst thing is you get popped in the nose. And the chances of that happening are are slim, right? And so we ask people, "Do, do, do you know the God of the universe? Can you imagine what might happen at Christ Fellowship if we commit to that kind of dialogue? Say, Pastor, you don't understand. I, I'm, I'm shy. You don't understand. Well, what if the person says no? Then you tell them about the God of the universe. You tell them the simple gospel. You tell them that, that God sent Jesus to live the, the life that you could never live, to die the death that I deserve to die, that he was born of the Virgin Mary, that he was crucified on Calvary's cross, and he was in the a hole in the ground for three days and that God raised him from the grave on the third day. He conquered sin and offers you eternal life. We share the gospel with people we care about. Number three is we actively invite people to church or events sponsored by the church. We actively invite people to church or events sponsored by sponsored by the church. One writer says that this Jesus, for the joy set before him, went to the cross, became the propitiation for my sins, became sin for me, bore my sins in his body on a tree, died for my sins according to the scriptures, was buried and rose again after three days, and all along the way saved me through the preaching of the gospel. And here's what grabbed me. He says it should be a little thing for me to tell someone else how he can save them. And I think one of the greatest lead-ins to that is just simply ask, do you know the God of the universe? Another thing that I've learned over the years is we can ask this simple question, and this is far less confrontational. You can ask your friend this question, especially a friend that's walking through difficult times. May I pray for you? May I pray for you? I remember the first time I tried this. This is a guy years ago I played racquetball with. He was a, an unconverted, very ungodly man that became my friend. And he was walking through a difficult time in his marriage. And so I, we sat next to him, both of us dripping in sweat. And he's telling me how he's struggling in his life. And I just asked him a simple question. May I pray for you right now? He looked at me and went, Yeah. And in that case, what's the worst thing someone can do? They can say, no, I don't like it when people pray for me. You say, fine. Sorry I asked. Do you know the God of the universe? May I pray for you? Paul calls us in this passage to manifest the marks of a God-entranced champion. A God-entranced champion who desires the prize, who dominates the flesh, who determines to finish the course and who disciplines his 
or her body. In 2017, are you prepared to run the race faithfully, zealously, humbly, and all to the glory of God? Let's pray together. Father, as we begin yet another year, I pray that you would enable us to be the kind of people that you uh, desire us to be. You have uh, called us out of the slave market of sin. You have forgiven us. You have reconciled us. God, you have called us your children. You have given us a new name. You've seated us in the heavenlies. So I thank you for the the power of the gospel and the beauty of the gospel. And as we move forward as a church family, give us a passion for lost people. Give us a passion to uh, share that gospel message with, with people who need to hear the saving message about Jesus Christ. And as we come to the table, may you remind us uh, through these two very simple elements, the, the bread and the cup, that it is only the, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ that will satisfy the deepest longing in our hearts. And so we partake obediently. We partake this morning with our hearts filled with joy. May this be a special time of worship as we uh, partake of these elements. In Jesus' name I pray.